With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. We get to hear from two very special people who are involved in this case. The first person we will hear from is Rebecca Adams. Rebecca is the mother of Jesse Adams, who today's episode is about. The second guest that we get to hear from is Jimmy Henley. Jimmy is a private investigator who owns and operates Investigative Solutions out of North Carolina. Jimmy has given us the opportunity to be able to share some of the cases he is working on or has worked on in the past. I am super excited to have him as a guest, and there will be more episodes in the future with him. Today's episode is also incredibly special because when I was planning my calendar, I picked November 6th as the release date for this episode. When I spoke with Jimmy for this interview, I realized that the day that I had picked was the two-year anniversary since Jesse Adams passed away. Jesse's case is unsolved, and his family has been forced to live the last agonizing two years wondering what happened to their son. These cases are the most important cases to talk about because someone somewhere knows what happened, and it takes just one person to speak to be able to solve and close these cases. His family deserves answers. This is Jesse Adams' story. We're going to go ahead and dive right in and listen to what Rebecca had to say about her son. Hi, my name is Rebecca Adams. Um, I have my daughter, Ashley Adams, with me. My son's name was Jesse Ryan Adams. He was born on February 28, 1999. He passed away on November 6, 2018. He was 19 years old. He was my middle child. He was my clown. He loved to make people laugh. He liked to dance. He liked playing video games with his brother. Um, he liked to tease his sister and beat up on her all the time. He was very sweet. He was just your typical boy. Get dirty, tear things up. He had a really big heart. He would help anybody if he could. He was good in school. All his teachers bragged on him. He liked to write. He liked to draw. He started working to help me with our bill because I couldn't do it by myself. And he was doing really good. I was very proud of him. We were all proud of him. And now this has just completely ruined all of our lives. He has an older brother, a younger sister, and then me and his dad. 
He has silly videos that he posted on YouTube when he was younger. Just him being silly. One of him is dancing, which he always did. He'd walk past the store windows and stop and look at himself doing silly dance moves. Like I said, he was my clown. He just loved to make people laugh, and he was really good at it. And also, we're trying to get help hiring a lawyer. I don't know, like, we need the secret Santa or angels among us. I don't know, but we need help if you can get the word out there. And we're going to start a GoFundMe for him to get a lawyer to help us with this case. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Jesse. I mean, he's no different than anybody else. Typical boy. But he was a really good person. And we miss him and love him very much. As you can tell by just listening to Rebecca speak, this has been extremely hard for her and her family. Jesse was a good boy who was working hard to help financially lift a burden off of his parents the best that he could. Jesse was taken from them so unexpectedly, and they deserve answers on what happened to their son. The Adams family is an extremely close family, and they feel Jesse's absence in the most profound ways. Jimmy Henley is going to go over the logistics of this case and break down everything that he knows. On November 6, 2018, Jesse Adams was working at a tobacco shop in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in a Walmart shopping center off of 301, and got off work, we believe somewhere around 5.30 p.m., and began walking home to a motel not far away from that location where he and his family were temporarily living. During that walk home, he was caught on video on one occasion walking past the airport in off the service road on 301. And he was caught on video by the hotel. At some point after that, Mr. Adams uh, found his fate and, and was later found on the side of that service road on 301. We believe from looking at it now, we have about approximately a four hour window between the time he would have been seen crossing the path of the camera to when the uh, family later found him on the side of the road. Jimmy states that Jesse's family found him, and I wanted him to go into a little bit more detail about how that all transpired. Jesse, like a lot of people, had a pretty steady routine. The family was used to very close family, very tight-knit family. And when Jesse got off, normally he would walk straight on home. As we see in the video, it, it does corroborate that. When he did not make it to, to the motel, the family began reaching out, trying to figure out where he was. He had left work. They know that from talking to the boss. And so they started going out on foot themselves looking for him. And it, and it became dark at some point. They had flashlights out. And his sister and his mother, Miss Rebecca Adams, uh, ended up finding Jesse's body laying off that service road just over into the brush and um, notified authorities right away. Father ran down there and he attempted CPR, but um, Jesse appeared to have already passed at that point. After Jesse was found off of that service road, his family immediately contacted authorities. 
When authorities responded, the investigation into what happened to Jesse began. The proximity of Mr. Adams to that road probably caused some confusion among investigators in that the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office responded initially and their investigators determined they felt like this would be a hit and run accident. In doing so, the North Carolina Highway Patrol responds and begins an investigation. From talking with officers on both sides of, of that investigation from each agency, there are some discrepancies of the crime scene where he was found with there being a hit and run. Therefore, there's a lot of unknowns uh, of what exactly happened to Jesse. Investigators from the Highway Patrol are troubled by the fact there are no signs of a hit and run. There are no items whatsoever on the crime scene from a vehicle, no broken lights, no other signs at all that a vehicle was involved, no skid marks, nothing at all. In the same video from the airport in, when you see Jesse go walking by heading home, soon after you see three vehicles go past that camera traveling the same direction northbound on that service road. There is another business at the end of the service road that had a camera. Jesse never makes it to that camera. And then the first and third vehicle that you see in the first camera make it to the other end. The second vehicle does not. That made this vehicle definitely a, a vehicle of concern for investigators just simply trying to get answers as to was this vehicle involved in some way or was it a witness? We don't know at this point. Investigators have not been able to identify that vehicle, nor have they been able to identify the first and third vehicle or its owners or, or drivers either. I asked Jimmy about the footage of the three vehicles. If you are able to tell the make and or the model of the vehicle that never made it to that second camera on the road. And this is what he had to say. I think it's difficult to tell. Um, the Highway Patrol investigator said they tried having the video enhanced, but it, 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 in trying to enhance a video that's not uh, of any quality it is enhancing bad quality video. And uh, still shots are even worse because there's a blur to them. I think it's difficult to tell the, the make and model. There's been speculations of what it might be. In addition to that, when it's nighttime and you're using video cameras, the cameras can get confused on colors a lot because of the light. And so we have, and, and again, the investigators initially on it all have some speculations and ideas of it being a grayish or silver or even a white SUV style vehicle and uh, we just, I can't tell you that definitively. I do feel com more confident in the color than I do some of the speculations of what the make and model might be. So we're very open to what it might be right now. When Jimmy was explaining all of this to me, I had a lot of questions about where exactly that second car went and why it never made it to the end. And he cleared some things up telling me that there was other areas in which the car could have gone. So there is a road going into a neighborhood between these two cameras that that vehicle could have went down. The amount of video that was obtained in the initial investigation 
was very minimal in that it was only a couple of minutes from the airport end was obtained and only a couple of minutes from the other end at, at the Stubbs Automotive uh, business at the other end. We don't know at some point did that second vehicle reemerge on one end or the other and leave out of there. Was there any damage to that vehicle or other vehicles or, or pedestrian traffic that could have been involved here? The possibilities of what happened are, we're really keeping those open. We too agree that there are some concerns that, that this may not be a hit and run. And the fact, again, there are no signs of a vehicle collision at that scene at all. More than likely, if that second vehicle was involved in some sort of collision with Jesse, we would assume that third vehicle may would may would have stopped and or notified some authorities or you know, got involved in some way. And, and that, of course, did not happen. So the second vehicle definitely is of interest to us. We do have some photographs we're going to provide you. They are not the, the best pictures in the world, but it is what we have. And we have some video. But what we also know is that this is an area that has a lot of pedestrian traffic. It has a lot of drug prostitution type activity around there and, and, and other crimes. We don't know exactly what happened. That's definitely what we're pursuing. We're, we're, we're looking at any and all leads that can be generated at this point, rather it be for a hit and run. And we're not necessarily approaching this as a hit and run. We're just approaching that as an option. There are multiple injuries, lots of trauma to Jesse that could have been from a vehicle, but also could have potentially been from a severe assault of some sort. We don't have any particular suspects in mind at this point, nor do the authorities. Jimmy briefly mentions Jesse's injuries, and I asked him to go into a little bit more detail about that so we can better understand where investigators are struggling to know for sure if this was a hit and run or if this was a violent assault. Jesse, from the autopsy, they, they discovered blunt force trauma to the head numerous contusions in various locations, skull fracture, subdural hemorrhage, uh, and numerous hemorrhages, definitely injuries that could be consistent with either a hit and run or a vehicle involved accident, but also from an, a, a severe assault of multiple people and or weapons or one person with weapons. Um, but there were numerous, numerous signs of trauma about his body, head and back, mostly upper body and head area for the most part, but on his extremities as well. Again, Jimmy is a private investigator, which means he wasn't involved in the first initial investigation into what happened to Jesse. So I asked him how he and his team at Investigative Solutions were brought in on this case. As I said earlier, the, the two jurisdictions seem to not completely agree on who should be investigating and, and how this should be pursued. And the family felt like there was not enough being done. And as time went by, they contacted their local house representative here with their concern. Mr. Billy Richardson is the house representative. Mr. Richardson contacted me, asked me if I would meet with the family and consider reviewing the case. I met with the family, 
we were able to get cooperation from the Highway Patrol and obtain the investigative file to assist in any way we could, not to interfere at all, but we're trying to assist in any way we can. We do have uh, a list of people that we're, we're identifying and, and, and locating and talking to to try to help develop any kind of leads we can um, from them. These are people who would have known Jesse during that time, maybe see him or communicate with him frequently. We have spoke with the family. He's got a brother and sister uh, near his age that we have spoke to on multiple occasions, trying to develop any leads that they may have for us. So we're just trying to, to assist the family since this seems to have fallen between two jurisdictions. And therefore, when that happens, you tend to see um, an investigation that may not have as much a direction as you'd like to see it have. And so we're trying to see if we can help in any way as far as getting recognition for the case, getting more leads, and hopefully getting it into the right agency's hands if it's not there already so that the uh, completion of this case can, can take place. I asked Jimmy to go into a little bit more information about that area where this all took place in. A lot of homeless activity, prostitution, drugs. It's not the part of town that you always want to see somebody walking around in, uh, for sure. But this was somebody who, you know, frequently, nearly every day was up and down that road and, and was very familiar with the area and, and how it was. And there's no reason from all of our communications and text messages and phone data and there's no reason to think that he was doing anything other than just walking home as he had done every day. We don't know that any criminal activity was going to transpire um, during that walk home. We have no reason to believe that there was anybody that had any sort of vendetta or reason to attack Jesse. We don't know if this was random. We don't know if there was a purpose. And again, we don't know if it was a hit and run. You know, one other thing I didn't mention was on the scene, along with his belongings, they find his wallet and there's still cash in his wallet. So there's no sign of a robbery. You know, one could argue it, was a, it could have been a robbery attempt that was disrupted in some way by somebody driving up, but still cash in his wallet. Um, no signs of anything taken from him. So what the motive would be, if it's not a hit and run, an accidental hit and run, um, we, don't, we don't know what it would be. Um, there are some issues with the scene that other than the lack of presence of vehicle materials and, and, and vehicle evidence that also concern us that we're not able to release at this point, we wanna hold on to, but there are some other uh, details that make us also concerned that it may not have been a hit and run. It's just difficult when you come into a case uh, a couple years later and a lot of the, the leads that you have are sort of already put in place for you and it's hard to get new leads from those um, and, and video evidence is already gone. So you, what you have is what you have. And so we're, we're kind of working with the, the hand of cards dealt to us and the public helping us develop more is going to be very, very important for us. I was curious, since Jimmy has been called on this case, what him and his team are doing and what they plan on continue doing for justice for Jesse. We're, we're looking at people who, um, again, were involved in his life during 
this time that may have either information or may have some direct information or, or may have saw something or witnessed or know something that has not been shared. Um, we, we've identified a few people that have not been interviewed that we feel like may, may be of interest to us, either again for information or may have been a witness or have direct knowledge that we want to talk to. We, we've identified them, we're locating them, and we're going to have those interviews done here soon, assuming that they're going to be cooperative. But anyone else, uh, again, that, that area has a lot of foot traffic, a lot of vehicle traffic. It was formerly our I-95 many years ago, so I mean, it, it has a lot of traffic through it. But getting people to regenerate disinterest and be talking about it, somebody more than likely saw something, whether they didn't realize what they saw or didn't, but may have saw something to be helpful to us. And um, this neighborhood that's nearby, we want to definitely people who live there during this time frame, back in November of 2018, if they recognize any of these vehicles on the video, um, that would be helpful. We just feel like in that short little area, somebody who knew him um, or knew people that may have been involved could have easily seen this and have some information. Anybody who, who might have saw something related or might have information related, you know, people tend to talk. If it was a hit and run, you know, was there a vehicle that got repaired that somehow matches this description and it was during this time frame? If there was anybody who done anything besides a hit and run, if there was some kind of information that somebody's talked and said something to somebody or leaked out information or just their actions make this person wonder if there could have been involvement in this in this crime as far as they go. I mean, anything like that that can get us some sort of leads to work with would be helpful at this point. That's the trouble on a cold case is trying to find some sort of lead or new leads or information that answers some of these questions we don't have answered yet. Jimmy and his team are dedicated to trying to help solve what happened to Jesse Adams. That's how I got brought in on this. My friend Jenny works for Investigative Solutions, and she asked me if I would be able to help spread Jesse's story. And of course, I said yes. The most important thing for these unsolved cases is to keep saying the person's name, keep sharing their story. It just takes one person to hear the story, hear his name, see his picture, to know that they actually know something, or to work up the courage to come forward. Jimmy and his team made a Facebook page for Jesse, and I'm going to let him tell us about that. Justice for Jesse Adams. Miss Jennifer has been working on that. The family also has recently started a GoFundMe to assist with their legal stuff, uh, costs and all. And we'll associate those in with our Investigative Solutions Facebook page and with the Jesse's Facebook page as well. Jesse Adams was just 19 years old when he lost his life. He was found seven feet off the road, which at first I thought that this sounded like a lot, but... Jimmy kind of explained it to me where Jesse wasn't walking directly on the road. He was walking alongside the road. So it's not that crazy to think that he was just seven feet off the road. But what is crazy to me is to think about the fact that this was ruled initially as a hit and run. But there was nothing at the scene to indicate that a car struck him. There was no paint on his clothing, no glass, there was no skid marks, nothing from a vehicle was found. 
You would also think that if Jesse was hit by a car, that he would have more broken bones, a broken pelvis, broken legs. But he only had that skull fracture and, of course, other contusions and markings on his body. But is that consistent with a hit and run? If you or anyone you know have information on this case, you can contact Investigative Solutions directly at 844-476-4762 and just leave the reference of the Jesse Adams case. Or you can contact the North Carolina Highway Patrol, in particular Trooper Oxidine, with the B Troop of North Carolina Highway Patrol, who is the current investigator for this case. That number is 919-733-7952. Crimeaholics, also be sure to find Jesse Adams' Facebook page. It's Justice for Jesse Adams, and I will have that link in the description of this episode, as well as the link to the family's GoFundMe page. Make sure you also look up Investigative Solutions on Facebook so you can give them a like as well. If you are not already a part of our Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group, I highly suggest you find us at Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. You can join and I will have all links to Jesse's Facebook page, their GoFundMe page, and Investigative Solutions Facebook page, as well as pictures and videos that Jimmy sent me. I want to wrap this up by saying thank you to Jimmy for allowing me to cover this case and taking the time out of his busy day to talk to me about it. I also want to say thank you to Rebecca Adams for having the strength to tell us all about Jesse and for continuing her fight for justice for her son. This family deserves answers and I hope any kind of awareness that is brought to it will bring them the answers that they need. Crimeaholics, that's all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. (music) 